Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you again. Like Gary said, I'm the assistant pastor at Las Tierras, and next year we'll be starting an RUF campus ministry at UTEP, which basically means that you all are stuck with me for the next several years. So we'll be here. It is a joy for me and my family to be worshiping with you this morning. Let us pray. Lord, we come to study your word because in it we find Christ. In your word we find Christ and so we find life. Lord, we pray that as we study these beatitudes of meekness, Lord, that you would make us more like our Savior Christ himself. And so, Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts even now as we look into your word. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. It's Matthew 5.5 5, and Matthew 11.25-30. Matthew 5.5 5 says this, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew 11.25-30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is God's Word. So we're looking at the beatitude today, the beatitude of meekness. And something you should know about the Beatitudes in general is that the Beatitudes, which start at the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes are distinguishing marks, distinguishing characteristics of all Christians. They are true of Christians in the first century. They are true distinguishing marks of disciples today. They are true of Christians who are in China, in Africa, in the United States, all over the place. These are the distinguishing marks that describe the disciples of Christ, because these are the distinguishing marks of Christ Himself. And they describe, therefore, those who are in the kingdom of God. They describe Christians. These are not, uh, as you might say, they're not a, a list of things to do or ways to be to become a Christian. These are rather a portrait of somebody who was already a Christian, somebody who was a disciple of Christ. And these are important things to remember when we look at meekness. These describe you and I who are followers of Christ. So my wife Matheson, the other week when I was preparing the sermon, she asked me, so what is meekness? And I said in response, well, that is the question. Because I didn't know exactly how to describe it at that moment. 
But uh, she retorted back with a little bit of sass in, in her like she sometimes does. And she says, that is my question. Now answer it. <laughs> and uh, you could say in some ways the way that meekness is described elsewhere, particularly in the book of Matthew, uh, the word meekness in the Greek uh, translated into English is later translated as the word gentle. So, so Matthew 11, the passage that we just read where it says, Jesus says, I am gentle. It's the same word that's saying, he's saying, I am meek. So meekness, there's a gentleness to it. Or in the last week of Jesus' life when he comes in on the donkey before he's going to be crucified, he says that he came in humble and mounted upon a donkey. But the word is the same word that we have for meek. So in some ways, synonymous to the word uh, meekness is gentle or humble. But that doesn't necessarily help us get at what meekness is. It's just a synonym, so we can kind of understand it. But it's easier in some ways to describe meekness in relationship to life. If you think about describing meekness, meekness can be in some ways more difficult than the two Beatitudes that come before it, which are poor in spirit and those who mourn. Because when you, when you are poor in spirit, this is something about understanding your spiritual dependence upon Christ. This is between you and Christ in a way. And when you mourn, this is also something that you often do privately. It's mourning over your sin. But when we come to meekness, meekness is when the spotlight of your sin is put upon you by somebody else. It is more difficult because it's in relationship to other people. It is when others put the spotlight on you and how do you respond. This is is meekness. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous pastor, he wrote this about meekness and what makes it so difficult. He says, I am aware when I am honest with myself of the sin and evil that are within me and that drag me down. And I am ready to face these things. But how much more difficult it is to allow other people to say things like that about me. I instinctively resent it. We all of us prefer to condemn ourselves than to allow somebody else to condemn us. I may say of myself, I am a sinner. But I do not like anybody else to say that I am a sinner. This is the principle introduced with meekness, he says. And that is true. We, we recognize that we are sinners. But when somebody else that we know says, you are a sinner, we say, oh, we don't like that. We buck at it. Meekness is hard. I remember when I was in high school, uh, I was playing video games with my neighbor. And we were playing this game called Medal of Honor. And I started cheating in the video game, which is not very honorable at all. And my neighbor, he was a pothead, and he was a guy who was a wannabe cholo, and he was not a Christian, and he called me out, and he said, Jeff, you are being a cheater, and you know what, more than that, you are such a hypocrite. And I thought, I'm the hypocrite. You see, the truth was, I knew deep in in my life, in my heart, that at that point in my life, I was an absolute hypocrite, struggling with my sin. I was becoming poor in spirit, understanding that I was dependent upon Christ. I would even cry in my bed at night, weeping, mourning that I could not overcome my sin. 
But then when my pothead wannabe cholo neighbor tells me, Jeff, you are a hypocrite, I picked him up, I walked him out the door, and I threw him out and said, there, there's a hypocrite for you. You see, that is a failure of meekness. It's when somebody else recognizes the sin in your life that you also recognize in some ways, and you kick them out of your house. But we see examples of meekness described, particularly a a man of meekness in the Old Testament and one man in the New Testament. And the person who is described as meek in the Old Testament is Moses. It's interesting because Moses spent 40 years of his life in Egypt learning about all of the wisdom and the power and all of the possibilities that being a ruler in Egypt afforded him. But then later he fled Egypt, as you know, and spent 40 years behind a a sheep, shepherding them in the wilderness, understanding his powerlessness, the direction of his life was going nowhere, all of these things. But Numbers 12 says this, that that in his life, Numbers 12 says this, Now the man Moses was very meek, that he was more meek than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Moses is described as a man who was very meek. And it's interesting in Numbers 12, the, 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 when, when Moses is described as a meek man, the most meek man of all people on the earth, it's a situation in which his brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam, they start to grumble against Moses. They say, we don't like the choice of his wife. He married this Cushite woman. We don't like her. And by the way, didn't, doesn't God talk to us as well? Does he just talk to Moses? No, he talks to us as well. And they grumbled against the man of God, Moses. And what happens is the Lord is the one who brings all three of them to the front of the tabernacle. And he rebukes Aaron and Miriam. And Miriam is struck down with leprosy. And you know what Moses does? He prays for his sister Miriam right after she had criticized him wrongly even. See, there is Moses' meekness right there in action is that he leaves it to the Lord. You see, the way I would describe a meek person, the way we could describe meekness is that those who are meek, they don't feel a need to prove or protect themselves. Because they know that they are already approved by God. And so they entrust themselves to Him. See, Moses, when he's being criticized by his brother and sister, he didn't need to prove himself as the man of God, man of God's choosing. He didn't need to protect himself. Because he knew that he was approved by God. And he entrusted himself into God's hands. And so God took care of it. And instead, Aaron prayed for the ones who criticized him. And of course, we see the one who did that most perfectly is in described for us in the New Testament is Jesus himself. As the passage that I read from says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, when he describes himself, the way that Jesus primarily describes himself is right here. He says, I am meek. I am gentle. I am meek and lowly in heart. This is where Jesus describes himself as a meek man. 
It's ironic because today, you never watch a Marvel movie and there's no superheroes who come out with the superhero of meekness. You watch, you know, uh, a Lucha Libre fight or WWF, whatever. You watch some of these, these fighters in the ring and you don't ever hear one guy who's in the corner who is the master of meekness, right? You don't hear that. And if you're going into a job interview and you're trying to put your best face forward and describe yourself, I don't think any one of us here has described ourselves as meek or lowly in a job interview. But this is the way that Jesus himself describes himself. He says, I am meek and lowly. We see it especially at the end of his life when he comes in in, in a, on a donkey. And he comes this life living a meek life. And First Peter chapter 2, verse 23, describes the way that the cross of Jesus is an example for us. See, we know that the cross is not primarily an example for us. But First Peter, Peter tells us this is a way in which the cross is an example for us. And he points to the meekness of Christ. And he says this in 1 Peter 2.23, When Christ was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten. But He continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. See, Jesus, when He came humbly the last week of His life, He did not need to prove Himself He did not need to protect himself because he knew that he was approved by God. So he entrusted himself into the will and to the hands of God. We see Jesus describing how meekness looks like in our life later in Matthew 5. He says this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You punch me, I punch you back. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And is this not what Jesus himself did on the cross? When they were reviling him. When they were telling him, get up off that cross if you're able to. They're slandering him and he responded in meekness. He didn't revile back at them. But he prayed for them. This is a picture of meekness in our life. This is very difficult for us. Think about the age when uh, we live in the internet where there's Facebook and Twitter and all these other things where people insult you from a distance. Or people may even insult you in, in, in public in front of each other. Somebody who is meek receives insults. But they don't insult back. When you're attacked on Facebook, or you're attacked in some way, you don't insult back. You don't demean others back. And that is so difficult to do because you think about the way we oftentimes operate is that we love mudslinging. Especially we see this, and we can oftentimes see this in political realm in other ways, that the way that you get better than the others and get more votes is by making the other person look much worse than yourself. The ad hominem attack, attacking the person. This is so commonplace. 
We even see this in the history of Christianity, oftentimes. You know, it's a good thing that Martin Luther did not have Facebook. There is a, uh, a website called the Martin Luther Insult Generator, and it's a list of actual insults that he paid to other people. Um, and so you click on the button, and it brings up an actual insult that he paid somebody. So here's a couple. He says, You seem to me to be a real masterpiece of the devil's art. <laughs> or he says, I mean, he was really smart in his insults. He also says, You say what comes out of our mouths must be obeyed and kept. I hear it. Which mouth do you mean? The one from which the farts come? You can keep that yourself. He was a fantastic insulter. And that is a failure of meekness. But think about how beautiful meekness is in somebody that you know. The beauty of a meekness in a pastor, perhaps. That they are not a proud person. C.S. Lewis says, somebody who is not proud but would be meek, this is how you would find them. He says, probably all that you would think about him is that he seems a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to them. They would be a cheerful person who took a real interest in the things that you say to them. And I can tell you that as the assistant pastor of Manuel, that he is a meek man. And from my interactions with, with Chuck, as I've known him, is meekness. If there's one advice that I would give for you as you uh, look for your associate pastor, meekness should be a characteristic that you highly admire. Look for this meekness quality in your associate pastor that you one day that you, you look for. Because it is an attractive quality when we find it. What's interesting too is meekness is attractive but the blessing of meekness is, is in some ways absolutely astounding. You look at it, it says here, blessed are the meek because they are the ones who will inherit the earth. It is astounding that, to say that the blessing that the meek receive is the entire earth. This is their inheritance. Oftentimes the Beatitudes that Jesus gives us seem very paradoxical. The poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom. Those who mourn will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. They are the ones who stand on the earth and inherit it. What would seem to make more sense would be if we said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall live a quiet and peaceful life. That would seem to make sense. But to say, Blessed are the meek, the meek ones are going to possess world domination? It seems rather odd Instead, you know, we live in a dog-eat-dog world. We live in a world where there is a proverb that says, we must howl with the wolves. For the moment that we make ourselves sheep, we will be eaten. You've got to put a tough face on. You've got to be strong. Assert yourself. Otherwise, you will be destroyed. But Christ's kingdom turns this all upside down. Now and for the future. Think about the present proud in this world. They may be described oftentimes as those who have it all, and yet they possess nothing. 
They're the ones that have everything, but they do not possess a thing. It's because they're proud. And in their pride, C.S. Lewis writes this, the problem with pride is that people who are pride, pride gets no pleasure out of having something. It only out of having more of it than the next man. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something. It gets uh, only out of having more of it than the next person. So what this means is, look, if you are a CEO, if you are uh, really successful in whatever thing you do, but you are a proud person, there's always going to be somebody who has more of it than you, which is going to mean that you will not actually possess it and enjoy what you have. And even more troubling is that if, say, you were on top of whatever field, whatever the best family, the best success, the most money, there's always quickly somebody who's coming up behind you to take your place. And so in this way, they are never content. They are never satisfied. And so we could say, though they possess everything, they possess nothing. Think about, for example, King, David, uh, King Saul and his relationship with David. King Saul, he was the king. He was the king over all of Israel. And then when David came up, you know, they had conquered the Philistines in places. And as they were going, they said this song about Saul and David. And they said, Saul has slain his thousands, which is a big compliment. But then you know what they said? And David has slain his ten thousands. And Saul was no longer content with possessing the kingdom. He was no longer content with it. And so he raged and he became envious and tried to destroy David. And so he had, he had the kingdom, but he didn't possess it. Or in the same way, look at the meek in the world. David, uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6 that we are those as having nothing yet possessing everything. That this is the status of the status of the meek now. Those who are humble in Christ is that we may have nothing, have everything taken away from us, but we possess all things. Why? Because we possess Christ. We are satisfied with Him. We don't need to prove or protect ourselves. We are approved. We are in Christ's hands. We have Him. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, don't let anybody boast. Why? Because all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all things are yours. And you are Christ. And Christ belongs to God. This is why now we who are meek, we may possess nothing, yet we possess the world. Because we possess Christ who owns it all. There's a song by uh, Steve Martin, who is the comedian. You may know him. He's actually also a, an accomplished banjoist and he has this song with a woman named eddie brickle and it's about a couple and the song is called i have you and this is how it goes in the song it says 
lots of folks boast and start to bragging about what they possess. I don't have ponies or painted wagons or money in my mattress, which is probably a good thing not to keep money in your mattress. So I don't have ponies or painted wagons or money in my mattress, but I have you. I have you. Yes, I do. I have you. What more could I ask for? I have you. I have you. Yes, I do. I have you. I couldn't ask for more. You think about that. I think when I, in my relationship with my wife, that there are times when I say, I have you, Matheson. I say it to my wife, I have you. I could, I don't need any of these other things. I could be okay because I have you. But for the Christian, this is absolutely true for us. That we say, I have you, Lord God. I have you, Jesus. What more could I ask for? And in this way, though we may have nothing, we have it all. I have you, I have you. Yes, I do, I have you. What more could I ask for? But this meekness and this blessing of meekness is, is also very much a future reality. It says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is talking about the future coming of Christ Himself. That it's a future reality. It's ret- talking about His return. And when Jesus talks about His return... Sometimes he talks about a wedding feast. There's going to be a great wedding banquet. He tells this parable. Imagine it this way. Imagine you're a guest and you come to this wedding and you're at the wedding dinner. And there's the front table where all of the people who are, you know, the bride and groom and and the groomsmen and the bridesmaids, they're all at that front table. Except for they're taking pictures. They're, take, they're taking their bridal, their bridal pictures. They're taking all these pictures. And you come in, and you see this table at the front, and you think, that's probably where I sit. There's nobody else here who is as honorable and great as me. I'm going to go sit up at that front table. And you know what's going to happen. The bride and the groom and the bridal party, they come back, and somebody says, who are you? What are you doing sitting up here? He says, think about the shame and the humiliation when you who thought you were great go sit up there. And they say, you've got to go sit in the way back. It would be shameful and humiliating. Jesus says this, when you are invited in this last day at the wedding feast, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, when Christ comes back, He may say to you, my friend, move up closer. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, the gospel is that we who recognize our low status right now, who recognize our sin and our shame, and don't make put on airs about ourselves, that Christ will say when he returns, Come, my friend. Come sit close to me and he will inherit the earth. He will possess it. And he says, you will belong with me. That the high will be made low and the low who are in Christ will be elevated and rule with him one day. This is the picture. And yet, 
we oftentimes still, we can get so starstruck, even as Christians. We even get starstruck with Christian pastors and other leaders in the world. Uh, a couple years ago, I graduated from Gordon-Conwell Seminary, and our most famous alumni is a pastor named Tim Keller, who is a really well-known, really one of the most influential pastors in, in the world. And he came to my seminary when I was there, and he was preaching. And after he was finished preaching, he walked out of the, the, uh, the hall. And people, my fellow seminarians, were following behind him with their phones saying, I'm walking behind Tim Keller. I'm literally walking behind Tim Keller. And I got to go shake his hand. And after I shook his hand, I was like, I'm never going to watch this again. We, we just lose our minds sometimes forgetting that, look, this is not the way it is in Christ's kingdom. This is not the way it is. And so we forget that meekness is a mark of a Christian and it is something to be thought, sought after and it is something to cultivate. And so I want us to consider briefly three ways, three considerations on how we cultivate meekness in our life as Christians, as His followers. And these come from our passage, passage Matthew 11. Verses 25 through 30. And the first thing that I think that we see in how we cultivate meekness as Christians is that from this passage we see that we must consider the nature of our calling. Consider how it is that you are a Christian. Matthew 11, verses 25, Jesus says this, At, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to be by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. You see, if you are a Christian, a follower of Christ, it is because Jesus revealed God the Father to you. It is nothing be by, because of your wisdom, because of your spirituality. None of these things. In fact, it is quite the opposite. He says, I'm glad that you didn't reveal them to the wise and the understanding, but that you revealed them to small children. That's who we are. We are little children. Nothing more. We have nothing to claim. No name to ourselves. We know smarts of our own. And so when we think about the nature of our election, the nature of our calling, He says it is all of grace. This was your gracious will. And so we cannot boast about the fact that we are Christians, the fact that we follow Him. This actually should serve to humble us and make us more meek. Because we know that pride is so deceptive and we get, and it hides in caves in our heart and we become proud over our Christianity, over our spirituality, over our intellect, over all these things. But when we consider that we were but children, this ought to make us meek as it sinks into our heart. In fact, the very fruit of understanding election is meekness. In Colossians chapter 3, it says, You, as God's chosen ones, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness. This is the fruit of understanding that we are called and chosen by God. 
It is meekness. Second thing to cultivate meekness is that we ought to be ones who learn from Jesus. Verse 29 says this, Take my yoke upon me, upon you and learn from me. This is talking about submitting to the very Word of God, submitting to the words of Christ, the Bible, His Scripture, and teachings from the Scripture. That this is to be, uh, these cultivate our meekness. You think about it, a meek person is somebody who is teachable. And somebody who is a, a meek Christian is first and foremost teachable from the Scripture. They learn from Jesus. James 1 tells us this, to receive with meekness the Word of God. This is contrasted with being quick to anger and quick to, to stop our ears and not to listen. That is meekness. It's, it's learning to learn from Jesus, to submit to His Word. I have uh, some family, some very, very distant, distant, distant family, who when they get in arguments... Uh, they'll, they'll start talking. And then one person will interrupt and say, listen, I'm just, saying, I'm just saying something different. And the other one says, but I'm just saying. And then it gets louder and they say, I'm just saying. No, but listen, you've got to listen to me. I'm just saying. And the problem is, neither one of these people are teachable or can listen to the other person. And if we come to the Scriptures and come to God's Word and say, I hear this is what the Scripture is saying about my life but what I'm supposed to believe and what I'm supposed to do. But you say, but I'm just saying, this is not meekness. This is not teachable from the Scripture. Think about it. We know that healing comes when we let ourselves be probed. We go to the doctor's offices and we get physicals. And they examine our entire body. They examine inside and outside. They examine us. And they probe into our life and our eating habits. And once after a physical, the doctor told me my triglycerides were a little bit high and said, you need to lay off the chips and exercise more. I didn't say, who are you to say that to me? Because we know that if we want to be healed, we welcome the probing of doctors as uncomfortable as it may be. And the Word of God probes us and it finds us that we are desperately broken by our pride. But it directs us to the healing. And so we submit to the Word of God because it tells us where we can find healing. And the way and the place that we find healing from our pride and the way that we place that we find meekness is to come to the man of meekness, Christ Himself. This is how we cultivate it, is by coming to Christ, coming to the man who is meekness. For he says in verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle, I am meek, and I am lowly in heart. Come to the man who is meek. He says, come to me. Take my yoke upon you and I will give you rest. He is lowly. He is meek because think about it. He was laid low for our sin. When He was reviled, He did not revile back. He was laid low in the grave for our sin. He was mocked because of it. 
He understands what it is to be lowly. He understands meekness. And he says, come to me, give me your pride, and I will give you rest. Give me your sin, I will give you rest. Think about pride is. It is so exhausting for us. It is such an exhausting burden. It steals away our joy. It wears us out. And I find personally that when I am self-focused and when I am absorbed in my own self, that I become so weary and burdened by my own pride. But Jesus tells us all to come to Him. For He will take it. And the promise that He gives us as we continue to come to Him He says it twice, that He will give us rest. He will give us rest. Think about it. What kind of person do you want to go to? What kind of person will you share the most deep and dark secrets in your life? You definitely wouldn't share that with a proud person. A proud person... You cannot trust them because they don't care about you. They're not interested in you. They will gloat over you when you come to them with your weakness. They'll say, I know you were going to come. You can't trust a proud person. But a meek person is absolutely approachable. A meek person is interested in you and cares deeply about you. And you see that Jesus, He is meek. He takes interest in you. He cares about you. He will take our burdens upon Himself. And He cares for us and He will give us rest. He is approachable. And you see that when we have a rested heart in Christ, that is when we find ourselves to be meek. And so let us pray. Lord God, we come to You this morning eagerly desiring to be meek. And yet it is so difficult for us. We pray, Lord, that as we come to You this morning to Your table, that we would find rest. That You would take away our pride and our self-importance. That we would know that we are approved by You for Your Son's sake. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.